The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We live in a fast-paced, hectic world where it is easy to feel overwhelmed, stressed, and out of control. How do you manage all the competing pressures without losing your sense of yourself? How do you stay focused enough to not only plot a path, but follow it? Welcome to Master Your Life, a show that offers inspiration, insight, and intelligence, as well as success stories from many walks of life that can show you how you can control your own destiny. Our knowledgeable and entertaining hosts and their guests give practical advice that you can use every day in the quest to master your life. Now, here are your hosts, Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin. Hi, and welcome to Master Your Life. I'm co-host Dr. Howard Rankin, along with my co-host, Leah Mattinson. And we are here today to talk about, well, many things. But one of the things we are really going to focus on is moral intelligence. Hey, Leah, how are you? I am so good, <laughs> as usual, Howard. Of uh, yes, of course, of course. So that's my moral intelligence is that I choose always to be really good. <laughs> yes, 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 you do. What you've been doing, I know, actually, I know what you've been doing this weekend, and it's really cool and kind of fun. So why don't you share it with our listeners? Yeah. And we have such a, I have such an adventurous life. My, my partner, Dwayne, and I decided that we should try spreading our wings a little bit and go into a, a uh, heavy horse chore challenge. So basically, it's like these big draft horses, and you, uh, you do, uh, it's teams of draft horses. So Dwayne drives, and I uh, was his helper along the way. So my job's would be hooking the horses up to the wagons and pitching bales and <laughs> things like this around this big course. Anyway, there was a bunch of people competing and we, it was our first time. Uh, but we just had such a wonderful weekend, such a fantastic time. And mainly because we met just a bunch of people that were absolutely spectacular. And just as we were walking the course together, all the teams were walking together and, you know, we're coming upon these problems. And in lots of groups, you can get into like um, nitpicking and, and uh, people not helping and it being really competitive. And really what it ended up being was this group of people who really all decided that they wanted to have a super fun time. And so we would come up against an obstacle and people would pitch in with a solution. There was a fellow there who was 82 years old who was driving God and bless was, him. Yeah, yeah, right? And it was his first competition. And at 82, he was still nimble enough to actually hook up his own wagon. Um, but the bales that we had to pitch probably weighed about, I'm going to say, around 50 pounds each. And we had to pitch six of them uh, and three times during the course, so, you know, up and down. It was like this speed challenge, one of the one of the competitions. And so he had somebody just volunteer to be, you know, uh, his pitcher. But then he didn't have to do that for anybody else during the competition and just I, it, it could have been a very difficult thing where, where people went no we're not going to help you out but absolutely everybody was just on board to uh, make the event as excellent as possible and that was just uh, I can't think of a better a better way to spend a weekend honestly it was just a, a, with a group of amazing amazing people so that was what oh, we awesome. did this weekend yeah <laughs> so those, oh, so those, and we did yeah. and we came in second <laughs> well outstanding but there you, you know go. As, as we said one time in a previous show, you know, Mr. Miyagi uh, from Karate Kid, win, lose, no matter. Sounds yeah. like it didn't really matter. We won great if you came in last great. Yeah. Sounds like you had a wonderful time. And, and, and these are the sorts of horses that appear in certain beer commercials, right? Yes, <laughs> they sure uh, are. They yeah. sure are. Yes. Yeah. So most people think of those and they think of beer. Oh, so, uh, <laughs> there might have been a little bit of beer along the way, too. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so, <laughs> well, that sounds great. Sounds sounds awesome. And, yes. uh, yeah, excellent. And, excellent. and how was your weekend, Howard? What did you? What were you up to this it's weekend? It's a very nostalgic weekend because I had a college friend of mine, and we haven't seen each other in, well, let's put it this way, a very, very long time. And it was fun. He came 
he's from the UK and he and his wife came over and we spent the weekend together and it was it was great I thought of people and experiences I hadn't thought of for again many many years um, and it was just it was just just great to catch up with with old friends uh, and when and when they really are friends the passage of time of course doesn't seem to mean anything so so I had a great weekend too thank you that was absolutely wonderful and it was a really nice cap off to our interview last week um, that we just had a fantastic interview and we wanted to talk a bit today about what we uh, learned uh, from our guest last week and just to kind of uh, expand on on what we had learned and what we had taken away. So we had Carolyn Mace on last week and she uh, is a spiritual leader in, in the world and her main themes were, you know, kind of talking about how we get in league with darkness and that we like to soft pedal um, things in our own lives with ourselves and to ourselves and sort of the idea of developing moral intelligence. And I, during the interview, I was struck with my own, uh, just being introspective about things. And we asked people who listen to the show to think about where it is they are right now and where it is that they want to be in their lives. And as we were going through that interview, I was struck with just this pressure I had been feeling recently about a financial obligation that has been hanging over my head a bit. And it's not actually something that I had to deal with for a few months, but I knew that it was internally causing me some pressure. And so as soon as we were done that interview, I actually went and did something about it and got that pressure off of me and got back into alignment. And uh, I just, yeah, yeah. I really appreciated how just having that wise mentor or person who kind of cuts through the baloney just Mm -hmm. to say, hey, like, are you actually in congruence yourself? And then I'm so grateful to have uh, the open-heartedness to be able to look at myself and go, hmm, nope. (laughs) And I have to do something about that. Okay, folks, so you see our show does make a difference. Mm, Even if it's to the hosts, (laughs) um, it makes a difference. um, And just just, uh, for clarification, that was Carolyn Mace, M-Y-S-S, that we had on last week. And um, that's the show that aired uh, initially on October 4th. So if you're looking down our episode descriptions, you'll see that one for October 4th. And it was was really an amazing show. I mean, I've read Carolyn's books and I knew what she stood for, but never heard her really, or never had the opportunity to talk with her. And uh, boy, she was right on, wasn't she? And she certainly, in in really the most loving way, was sort of, she wasn't uh, mixing words in terms of what we have to do. You know, when there's, when you're faced with a moral challenge, there's one right answer and the rest is just avoidance or words. <laughs> it's really what it came down to, isn't it? I mean, yes. I love what you call it, you because we were because we've been talking about this quite a bit since we did the interview. Our own thoughts about it and how you, uh, you and I were talking about the concept of adaptation. <laughs> so I'd love for yep. you to expound a little bit on that. Well, you know, my thought process there is when people talk about intelligence, and this came up in the concept of, you know, or in the context of talking about emotional intelligence or moral intelligence, what is intelligence? Um, You know, one view coming out of neuroscience based on what actually happens is the brain is intelligence is adaptation that uh, human beings and other species have survived because they've been intelligent, i.e. they have adapted appropriately to their environment. Now, there's probably been, you know, a 99% of species who did not adapt intelligently to the environment and they're not around anymore. So, so one concept of intelligence is really that it's adaptation. It's effective adaptation to what you find yourself in. Mm. Well, that, that's interesting because we were talking about that and you brought up this point of emotional intelligence um, and you rightly said there's a lot of work on it and a lot of talk about it. Um, and one of the things that struck me about emotional intelligence, which typically is used, I think, to, to refer to two things. One is the understanding of your own emotions and then the understanding of other people's emotions. Um, and I wrote a book a long time ago called Power Talk, The Art of Effective Communication, which naturally looked at the emotional component and how significant that is in communication. And I made the point in that book, now you have to be careful because if you understand people's emotions and you have a skill in reading them, you can use that to help them or you can use it to calm them. Uh, right? I mean, you know, the con man is probably very emotionally intelligent, you know? They are big BSs and we know people like that and they're so good because... 
they know how to pull people's emotional strings because they understand it. So just being emotionally intelligent doesn't necessarily make you morally uh, effective or intelligent too. So the one thing that I was struck about, you know, Carolyn's talk was there isn't, in a way, there's no adaptation. Faced with a moral choice, there's a right thing to do, and then there's everything else, which is avoidance. It sounded, that's a bit um, a generalist, but that's sort of how it came across. And I really, I think we both took a lot from that. I, mm-hmm. I think there's something to be said for that power of that simplicity, because we have brains that are very clever at creating all sorts of reasons why we shouldn't do it, or we can't do it now, and it wouldn't be right, and all that stuff that enables us to avoid making those moral decisions we need to make. Yeah, and I think looping back to the whole emotional intelligence thing, they, that I'm struck by not only people who, and because I think this is us, it's like who we are. I, as an individual human being, don't. I don't only have the ability to con other people. I, more importantly, have the ability to con myself. <laughs> That's right. And that That's going, right. wow, okay, What? how did I just end up making it okay that I, you know, didn't follow through on that thing I said I was going to do. And that, that's the, that's kind of um, understanding your own emotional intelligence and your ability to either use your uh, thoughts and actions for good or use your thoughts or actions for not so hot against yourself. You know, so when we lay in bed at night and we conjure up or we talk to ourselves about all the negative things like why am I still struggling with being fat why am I alone why oh my lord how did I you know not pick up my uh, kids report card at school today how did I miss being nice to somebody at the grocery store and we lay in bed and we agonize about the areas of our life that we're not congruent in and that's our own lack of emotional intelligence yeah, and, and in order to create congruency or, or sometimes called coherence in our stories, we will come up with the most fabulous creations and narratives to justify what we're doing, right? Right, right, yes. And, so and, that's, the, and that's the hard part because you know, that's natural and you come up with all these great ideas where you shouldn't do what perhaps deep down you know probably is the right course of action. Um but we can always, well, the brain lives in the present, so we can always say, well, you know what, I'll think about that tomorrow or next week or next month. I can't do it now because I've got to fill in the blank. Um, and that's the challenge, I think, for human beings because we've got these abilities to create the narrative and to rationalize away and be coherent rather than necessarily do the right thing. Right, and, and I, I agree, and also go, this whole idea of adaptation, we've adapted ourselves into a species that we're supposed to be surviving. I think we're actually moving quicker and quicker and quicker to implosion. If you look at the, <laughs> the you know, no we've question. adapted, yeah, we've been adapting to be, like, have we been adapting to be better people, or we have been adapting to be more chaotic uh, have we been adapting to be more loving people or have we been adapting to be more like the con artists and miserly and not compassionate? And, you know, do we whip people into a frenzy, you know, socially because it keeps um, it keeps the distract, it keeps them distracted. And then how does everyone adapt to that? If you watch the news for even five seconds, you can see that people are not adapting well. And I could be wrong. Uh, you'll, you, I'm sure, will be able to uh, correct me, Howard, or, or get the information straight. But haven't a lot of really awesome societies absolutely imploded, like the Romans, for example? Very, you know, civilized, very, you know, thoughtful, and and they blew them. They basically, you know, killed themselves off. And I don't correct. think they're the only culture in history that has done that. Yeah, and I think that the most of the lessons from history are that's what happens with quotation mark civilized society. And I think the c- clue there is the adaptations to needs are one thing. Boy, we need food. We got to adapt. Otherwise, right. we're going to die, right? Right, yes. Um, the, the basic core, you know, Maslow's first level hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. fundamental survival. Well, yeah, you need to adapt there. But although, unfortunately, we still have too many people in the world facing that, for most of us, we're beyond that now. It isn't about food or what have you. Now it's about wants, not needs. And that becomes a whole different ballgame. 
because now we're adapting to wants and to do that you have to justify well I'm entitled to this I'm entitled to that I'm right you know I've got rights I've got that and that's a totally different that's using adaptation in a totally different way Um, you know your survival doesn't really depend on it and I think that's where societies potentially um, go wrong, if you will, or sow the seeds of destruction, where it stops being about, okay, what is necessary, to now what is optional, and then you open yourself up to the whim of anyone. Yeah, and it's it's very even pursued in how we open up options to our children in school nowadays. You know, there used to be two options now there's you know 13,000 probably options for kids to take in school we're so we are given so many choices and we create so many choices for ourselves that we that we don't have the capacity to limit those options often we don't and we don't or we don't exercise the ability to limit those options yeah, and if you think about it, if if you're used to being given 12 options which you can take or leave, mm-hmm. what are you doing? You're training your brain to just be very selective and somewhat selfish about what you do. Well, now let's suppose you're faced with options where there's one right decision and the rest are just avoidance. What are you going to do? Well, you're not in the habit of doing that. You're in the habit of saying, well, I'm going to choose what I feel comfortable with and what makes me feel okay. Uh, that's going to hinder your ability to make the hard decisions in life, I think. (laughs) And I laugh as we go to break. I'm just having a giggle to myself because I think it's like what we have deluded ourselves into thinking makes us feel okay is also an interesting idea because if we go down the path of the, it's like a habit that I've chosen because I believe it's going to make me feel better in the moment. Uh, when we are able to be that, you know, really looking internally at what would really make us feel good, it might surprise us uh, that the thing we choose in the moment is not the thing. It isn't the thing that makes us feel great. Yeah, and, and, and there's the issue of living in the moment and responding to what is right in front of us right now because we live in the present rather than resolving some other deeper, um, long-standing Um, perhaps more significant issues. So um, we'll continue this discussion, which hopefully is offering intelligence, inspiration, and insight onto moral intelligence when we come back after the break on Master Your Life. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you've been searching for fat loss and mental clarity in one place, think ketosis. Maybe you've heard about a ketogenic diet but have been totally turned off by the painstaking effort to do it. Well, agonize no longer because there is a solution. What could be just as simple and easy as taking your daily vitamins? Visit reallifetraining.expert to find out. Raise your hand and get in on the front end of the total wellness revolution. Get well, manage your mood, clear your mind. Visit reallifetraining.expert now. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson, Dr. Howard Rankin, or their guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah, that's L-E-A-H-A, at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back to Master Your Life. I'm Dr. Howard Rankin, along with my co-host, Leah Mattinson. And today on Master Your Life, we're talking about moral intelligence and the challenge it is to, if you like, do the right thing. And just before the break, we were talking about how in society now we have so many options, so many choices that we're really in the and those choices really don't relate to needs. They really relate to wants um, that we have got into a mindset where we decide what the right thing to do is and we decide whether to act Um, and that's very difficult if you're trying to make a moral stand and do the right thing isn't that right Leah 
Yes, absolutely. I think uh, the we were talking before the break about habits and how we fool ourselves into thinking that you know something's going to make us happy in the moment, but d- does it really? And what I really appreciate about um, our dialogue back and forth is often we'll call each other on our own like sort of cognitive dissonance. <laughs> well, yep. You know, I don't know if I agree with that um, belief, or I don't know if I agree with the um, you know that thinking a hundred percent, or and that. When you're operating from a place in your heart that is uh, good versus that, you know, you're kind of in league with the dark side, as, as our guest Caroline was, uh, Carolyn was saying, that it, it makes it much easier when you think about what your intent is. And that if you thought about your intent for five years from now or 10 years from now, that you may make a very different choice. And I'm struck by the amount of times people make decisions in their family life that are very much in the moment and they don't think about things like, hey, I wonder what Christmas is going to be like five years from now, if everybody's here or if nobody is here. I wonder what being a grandparent is going to be like when we're still together in 20 years because our, or 25 years because we're going to have created this really great family story and family theology and that we're going to have all of our, we're going to be intact as a couple. We're going to have positive regard for one another. Our children are going to be amazing because we've had such a solid base. And our grandchildren are going to just adore us. And we're going to have all kinds of money, resources, time, energy, and health because we have not lived in chaos of the moment of 25 years ago when we were first married choosing to break up. Yep, and and unfortunately, it's very difficult for people. It's certainly not impossible, but it's difficult because we're not used to it. Many of us of taking that long view. What people mostly do, I think, is they react to the present, the first thing that comes into mind, their emotional state, uh, and they react to that, and they act in a typically a somewhat impulsive uh, mode. And they don't step back and take that long view that you were just talking about. Let me see how this is going to play out. You know, here's the here's the consequence of this decision: a year, five years, ten years, twenty years down the road, as best I can tell. And you know, they're just mad, and I want to get a divorce, sort of thing. Well, and, and it's so culturally accepted now, too. You know, so thirty or forty years ago, people would have sat back and gone, "I need to think about this," because actually, what the community is going to think is, "What is going on with you guys? What? Mm-hmm. What are you guys doing? That's not okay." And you would have had people to go to. And now, uh, it's so it's just so accepted. It's almost surprising when you haven't gone through a divorce. I think, and that. That's a sad state of that's a sad state of adaptation when we've adapted ourselves out of uh, you know really solid families. Yeah, and again, I think it's it's this transition from to some extent from needs to wants mm-hmm. um, that well, I've got a choice. I can choose. I have a right to choose, and I'm feeling uncom- very uncomfortable about this now, so I'm going to end it. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, recognize that's not actually being very emotionally intelligent. Uh, recognize that discomfort might go away. You know, might might be gone by tonight. Yes, and especially uh, if, you, if we numb it, numb it out with something. <laughs> right. Um, so, so I think there has been this shift in certainly Western or industrialized societies into this sort of more narcissistic mode, where what comes first is what's right for me and, and 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 that really translates to what feels good to me mm. not necessarily what's right but what is feels good and feels most comfortable for me and so we've gone from having to survive literally mm-hmm. survive to okay well now what feels comfortable most comfortable for me yeah and, and i wonder how do we things. and how do we get to the point and this is a question how do we get to the point where it feels more comfortable to be completely selfish than it feels to like actually uh, take care of other people or be a good woman or be a good man. Like when did that, when did it start to change that you took, you know, some sort of pride in the fact that you were a really good person and that you uh, were an outstanding husband or wife or a really amazing parent. So because there has been a shift in that, I think about to more the narcissistic or the more selfish side of things. 
Well, again, I think when when it's not about needs, and now we you know, so we go <laughs> we go down. Well, okay, it's not about needs now. It's now it's about comfort level. Now it's about my pleasure, if you will. Now it's about what suits me, mm-hmm. and the emphasis goes away from really concern about other people. The emphasis becomes more about you, right. um, and. And I think that's what happened. You know, if you looked at our ancestors who depended on killing stuff for lunch, otherwise they die. You know what? They're going to work as a team. Mm-hmm. Teamwork is teamwork is what get was going to get you survival, right? right? And so there probably wasn't sort of petty jealousies and people, you know, uh, Homo sapiens or whoever preceded us, you know, being uh, standoffish. No, I don't feel like doing that today. I don't, I don't want to bother doing that. I really want to go get whatever. You know, yes. it, it doesn't compute. Yes. The team is together because we need to survive. Well, if you ramp all that down and say that's no longer necessary, then forget team. Now well, let's focus on me. Yes, and we uh, we talk about this in management consulting all the time, and I think it just parlays completely to family uh, dynamics. But the collaborative effort is actually where you start to build mutual trust and respect, and that that is so it keeps everybody together. You find out who the you know the good people are, and they cultivate more and more of being on the side of good when there's more and more collaboration going on. Uh, and so, I mean, I could talk about that ad nauseum, but I want to not miss something that we talked about earlier. Um, before we got on air, and that is this idea of how we develop the pathways in our brains, because I think it's important for people to understand that even though there's all of this stuff that's really not so hot, there's also a really, there are ways of changing those things, because we can't get lost in the hopelessness of, wow, if I made bad decisions five years ago in my family, then now how do I correct that if in my heart I really want to? Yeah, so the the, the concept of learning really from a neuroscience point of view, is, has changed a bit in the last few years because we now know that what learning really is is a change, literally a change in the pathways of your brain. Mm-hmm. When you learn something, and I'm not necessarily talking about a fact there, but you learn a habit or a behavior or a way of acting, you are creating massive pathways in your brain that represent that action. Right, uh, yes. and once those are set up, and of course the you know the early years up to early adulthood are really the core times when those pathways are set down. Um, you know, where we have billions of billions of possibilities in terms of interconnections and pathways in our brain uh, when we're very young. In the early teenage and teenage years, all of those get pruned. We lose a lot of possibilities because we have shaped in and constructed the pathways in our brain based on our experiences. And, and so what learning is, is literally changing the brain. And when you change the brain, what you interpret and perceive is going to be perceived through the pathways that you've already got, which is why it's so difficult for people to change. Not impossible. Difficult, but, difficult, difficult, but not impossible. Yes. Difficult yes. to change because, you know, so let's imagine, let's take this metaphor and say, well, you build a pathway from your house out to the road. And um, somebody comes along and says, well, you know, uh, you know, they built that in the wrong spot. It really shouldn't be there. You know, you're probably going to say, yeah, but I'm really not going to dig it up and build another pathway. You know, that's what I got and that's it. What's it going to take for you to do that? What's going to take, you know, maybe the town or the state coming by and saying, unless you change that, um, we're going to take your house away or something dramatic, something really emotional, then you might have to think about building a new pathway. Um, And that may be a bit of a clumsy metaphor, but the point is that when you've got these literally physical pathways in your brain set up, you're not going to easily change them. It takes an enormous effort to do that. Now, you can, you absolutely can, but it requires effort. And that's why for most of us, we tend to stay with the behaviors we've already developed and even the narratives we've already developed because changing them is a lot of hard work. <laughs> or in, uh, or it's a lot of easy work. And so I'll just pose that as a, a thought mm-hmm. because the, the idea uh, – of 99 living your life at 99% is exactly what you said it's just like hard work 
trudging through stuff, trying to, you know, figure out like how to outwit yourself almost all the time, but living like at a hundred percent, which is more the like higher thinking, you give yourself like really, really clear boundaries. Living at a hundred percent is a cakewalk. Uh, you know, so if you ask the, and, and it's like the boundaries around how we live our lives do really can provide a lot of relief. And it's almost like we, we get off on having a lot of drama that we really enjoy having drama. It gives us something to talk about. It gives us something to feel important about. It gives us something to have to, you know, have a hero's journey through and, you know, to conquer. And I'm just, I'm just as guilty as everybody else. So I'm just, I'm just. Well, we all, well, we all, we all are because we're yeah. all human beings and we have a brain uh, that works like this. Okay. Yes. So I don't think there's anyone who's immune from this. Yes. Uh, the question is, do you have the ability, the support and all the other things that go along with that to step outside that and rise above that default setting and do the right thing? Yeah, and I think some people have more immunity than other people, though immunity is a great word. Uh, so if you look at the, you know, Carolyn Maces of the world, I look at my parents as another example. I just go, they have got it figured out. Uh, they, you know, they have their nutrition stuff figured out. They sleep enough. They're financially stable. Um, you know, they're just what you, if you go, uh, you know, truthful, integrity, honest, um, that you can take it to the bank, whatever they they say, you actually can believe with 100 um, percent authority. They have lots of friends there uh, and close friends over years and years and years. And why they were able to create that kind of life is they had really good boundaries like just some things were completely intolerable, uh, and some. And I remember my dad even stopping uh, attending some meetings in our community because he would go and go like those people are not going down the same path we're going down, and it was a very conscious decision. But as they culled a really good group of friends and didn't just buy into all of the um, uh, offside stuff because they didn't. Uh, they were able to maintain their marriage, you know, and to, you know, have a fairly um, good influence on us kids and, you know, work out in the community well with other people. And they're still providing, you know, wisdom to other people because they had really good boundaries. So if I ask my dad for advice <laughs> about something, it, uh, it or my you. mother, oh, you better <laughs> believe it. Yeah, for sure. So I was, I was struck by um, the whole family theology thing and how much that influences people. So not only is it important as adults to go, how do I create a new internal personal theology um, for myself? Like, what are my boundaries? What are my rules for living? Like, how do I revisit that? And, and to get the pressure off, um, because the pressure does come off when you're living congruently. And then how do I take that theology forward to make my family stronger? Yeah, absolutely. And part of the problem is this the balance, if you will, between emotion and moral intelligence and rationality. I mean, what we've known, and I guess we've known it for eons, is emotion is the thing that engages people. It's, it, if you like, it's the spice, it's the thing that engages people and attracts them to something. But what you see now in our societies is um, all spice and no substance, all tartar <laughs> sauce and no steak, okay? Yes. Uh, you know, you probably, and I've, I have an article that I'm bringing out on this, like the, uh, the five things I hate about listicles, mm. you know, uh, and you won't believe number six. But the, the point is that we wrap these things up. Our communication is all designed to get emotion there's no substance to it. And so when you're not addressing substance, how can you make moral decisions? If you're just doing it for the emotional effects, just to feel comfortable or to upset somebody else or whatever, then that's not substance. And yeah. we've confused the spice, which is the emotion component, with real action and real communication, I believe. Yeah, I and I completely agree. And my... Um, book Silver Linings we talk about kind of my rules for living and rules for having a great life and again it's like I've come to these wisdoms through having trials and tribulations of my own uh, so I'm coming at it from that perspective but and also going I know we can choose better and why and I know I can choose better when I choose better I feel better and so when we come back after the break what we're going to talk about is well then how if we if we feel some sort of a little internal nudge about going you know what I'd actually like my family to be happier I'd like to be happier 
uh, I would like to go out in the world and spread a little bit more sunshine instead of being the dark cloud. That, <laughs> uh, right. Then how how do I do that? How do I how do I make these new habits? So when we come back after the break, we're going to talk about how do I rehabituate my brain as an adult and how do I create a great life for myself and my family. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you've been searching for fat loss and mental clarity in one place, think ketosis. Maybe you've heard about a ketogenic diet but have been totally turned off by the painstaking effort to do it. Well, agonize no longer because there is a solution. What could be just as simple and easy as taking your daily vitamins? Visit reallifetraining.expert to find out. Raise your hand and get in on the front end of the total wellness revolution. Get well, manage your mood, clear your mind. Visit reallifetraining.expert now. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson, Dr. Howard Rankin, or their guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah, that's L-E-A-H-A, at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back to Master Your Life. I'm Leah Mattinson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Howard Rankin. And today we're talking about moral intelligence. And in this segment in particular, we're going to pick up on where we left off and just talk about how do I create a great life for myself and then subsequently for my community and my family. So, Howard, I'd just like to um, talk about what are some of the habits or some of the things that people can do or, or focus in on that would help them to really wake up in the morning and be congruent? Uh, well, you know, it certainly requires knowing um, yourself, and that, that means knowing the issues. It also requires courage, I'm sure, to address those and, and to be honest with yourself. It also requires... I think putting aside fear, because one of the things that sometimes happen to people, well, is if I do this, i.e. the right thing, then all these things are going to happen, and then they get carried away with the anxiety that prevents them. So, so I think there are a number of elements, but it is about being honest with yourself. And frankly, a lot of those things, including honesty, you know, comes from how you were raised and whether you were raised to be able to do that or to avoid it. And I know you talk about a lot of the stuff in your book, Silver Linings, so I'd be interested in your perspective on that. Yeah, and I just um, definitely, I, I didn't realize how important this whole family theology thing was until until we were talking about it with uh, Caroline, and I just went, holy smokes, I, I grew up in a very similar theology, and so my parents were just, you could, you're, uh, you know, like you you grow up and things are normal. Nothing's all that surprising. People live, people die, people kind of make mistakes. And growing up in this farm sort of community really grounded me to the day in, day out, you know, good habits and routines of, you know, taking care of the other things that are alive and doing a good job, like chores with animals, um, being responsible for gardening, being uh, responsible for when you came to the supper table, giving thanks for the meal that you were given and uh, having family meals together, the intolerance of uh, lying, cheating. My mom worked at the hospital for 44 years in this really small town. So confidentiality, we never knew ever what was going on at the hospital. We would hear about stuff when we would go into town to school and that my mom would have come home you know, from work and known all about what was going on and we never heard a thing. And so we had this very... Um, good structured family and they, we talked about morals and we talked about virtues and we talked about character and we talked about uh, integrity and how your you know reputation you could be going through a rough time say financially but if your reputation was in shambles you'd be in trouble but if you if your reputation was good and your character was good and you know bank rates were 18 percent on your farm loans you just phoned up your banker and said hey bob you know what this is what's happening but your banker went no problem john because 
obviously the economy is completely sideways, but we know you have good character and integrity and all these things. And as soon as things correct themselves, you know, all, all will be right in the world. But that's exactly um, how I was raised. And so when we are raised in those sort of, um, with so much integrity, it's easy to speak the truth and it's surprising when people don't. Like yes. that's the shocker mm-hmm. is you're going, what? And, and I'm, I'm often surprised still at almost 50 years old when people tell me something that's a bunch of baloney. I just like, <laughs> I am surprised. Oh, so boy. I talk about, yeah, I talk about it in the book about how do you, like, how do you create these things and how do you create them in your, in your children? And so knowing yourself, just what you were saying, knowing yourself, knowing the issues, having courage, courage to do these things, um, putting aside fear. But the, and the bigger part of that is when you've got through all that stuff in your head is putting these things to action, like taking action on your wellness, whatever aspect of it it is. But the action thing is what actually moves you from being stuck to being unstuck. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the thing about it, and we talked about this uh, earlier too, the thing about it is when you do the right thing, typically um, you have a tremendous sense of peace and, and maybe well-being. I'm not sure that's the right word, but but peace because you know you've done the right thing. Uh, and that probably is more rewarding than anything else that you might get. Uh, and, I, and I think that you have to have experience of that to feel that so that you can learn and build the pathways in your brain, learn that this is not just an okay behavior, but actually a very rewarding behavior Mm -hmm. but it's a challenge at first to get it started and the easiest way to get it started is to be shown it from the first day you're on the planet um, through your developing years yes and then so and if you haven't had that (laughs) you know wonderful experience and if you're listening to the show today and you're 35 or 50 or 70 and you're going well I did not grow up like that now what am I going to do like um, if you've if you've had your heart opened up and this has been like a little bit of a reveal for yourself and that it's like you have the you'll have a pick point where you'll go, you know what, I know what I've been doing in this area is not good for me. It's not good for my life. It's not good for my family. And then how do I take that uh, into myself and then do something different with it? Yeah, and there come those moments where the, where the, you're confronted with that challenge, you know? Mm-hmm. And some of the things we're talking about are things that sort of go ongoing through life and don't need to be resolved. Sometimes they pop up right now, and you have to make that choice right now about what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they can be challenging. I, I, um, I, I give this example not to um, necessarily toot my horn as a parent and my wife as a parent, but... My son um, was confronted with a situation, and fortunately, for whatever reason, he has a tremendous ability to do the right thing. And mm-hmm. so, um, when he was in high school, there was a lacrosse party because he was part of the lacrosse team, and there were guys down down outside the main party on the road firing a lacrosse back and forth, and the ball got loose and went smashed a windshield on a car. Mm-hmm. And the kid's doing it. Oh, quick, don't tell anybody we did it, don't it? And so James stepped up and said, uh, no, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to go up and tell the coach right now, you know, exactly what happened. And I'll give you five minutes to do it. But if you don't do it, I'm going to go do it. Because right. that didn't make him very popular with those guys, uh, as you can imagine. But, you know, it took a lot of courage to say that. But he he did the right thing. And... Um, you know, I, I was tremendously impressed with that because it would be easy to say, okay, well, I didn't really see what happened. I'm not really sure, and I'll just shut up about it, you know? Right. And because he did that one act of courage, he would be more courageous. And that's the trick. That's the trick about courage. Right. Yeah, is that courage is built through actually walking through the fire. And it's not it's not built by sitting on the sidelines at all. Um, so it's like kind of an exciting idea to think, well, how do I build more courage? How do I become more courageous in my life? It's such a great example. Yeah, and I think the thing about that was he wasn't be, making a value judgment. He was saying, oh, guys, you're all terrible and you need to be punished. He All he <laughs> said was the coach needs to know. And whatever he decides to do is up to him. But somebody needs to tell him. 
right? <laughs> and, you know, and he told the coach, and he said, okay, that's my obligation. Don't coach is now the one responsible for what he does with this information. And, again, so many times in life we're faced with that where it's easy to turn a blind eye, where that is being pretty blind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And, and, and of course, it's it's even harder to do that when we're looking at ourselves as opposed to other people and holding ourselves to account. Yes. So when we were talking at the beginning of the segment just about how, so how do you build this? How do you understand what's going on within yourself? It's introspection is one thing. So it's like asking yourself really great questions. The other thing is asking people who are closest to you, um, yep the same questions and see if they actually have the same answer. So if you say, uh, am I a really great um, parent? And you scare, you score yourself like an eight. <laughs> and you're, you know, you ask your ex-wife or your ex-husband and they say, well, you're a nine, actually, you're fantastic. Uh, and then the basketball coach, you say, well, what kind of parent do you think I am? If there's somebody that knows you, they might say you're a two because you never show up at practice and then, or at any games. And that might be their value judgment. But it's just understanding that it's like getting a wide berth of perspectives can help you to actually assess you know, how you're doing if, you know, if we're telling ourselves some stories that maybe aren't um, all that awesome. Our credit score is often a good, <laughs> really good. Well, we, well we, we need a sort of moral FICO credit score, don't we, really? Y- yes. Um, not just a financial one, which could go up and down for all sorts of reasons. Um, but I think that, sh- I think when we keep everything to ourselves, it's very easy to distort the narrative and do what is comfortable. And that is why sharing it with the right other person, whoever that is, mm-hmm. is very important because you're going to get a perspective probably that's different. And that's what you need to hear because we can deceive ourselves so easily. And, you know, I certainly would have done different differently in my life if I had every time I came to a choice point that was potentially critical, gone and asked a mentor, what do you think about this? Uh, I know for sure that a lot of those times I say, are you serious? You're seriously thinking of doing that? You're nuts. Um, And it would have been very helpful, but we don't do that. Uh, And that also does speak to the issue of of having an appropriate mentor, for want of a better expression, where you can go in trust and honesty um, and get that sort of feedback. Yeah, and I think that what you know when again our parents were being raised, mine anyway, that one of the th- that was an expectation of the community of the family. The family were were the wise ones, and people respected what they had to say um, because they were respectable. Like those people had, they had lots of self respect. They had keeping their fa- kept their families together. They had been hard workers. Um, they understood life, and they understood it from that kind of survival perspective. And they were. Um, I remember listening to my great-grandparents, you know, talking about, uh, my great-grandmother, anyway, talking about, you know, kind of the things that were right and wrong that she thought, and they were very sensible, very right. sensible. And when we think about how is our, fam- our families are so deconstructed now, the idea of uh, grandparents or, or great-grandparents uh, having, you know, the, the children going to them and looking to them for wisdom, you, you go, well, how many people in this audience are people who uh, have enough credibility, including myself, how much credibility do I have to offer wisdom to other people? And then that kind of changes how you, you know, look at things as well. It's like, oh, who would come to me? Why would they come to me? Right. You know? and, 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 and so one of the things about, I think, certainly, past generations that you're talking about. Um, you know, Carolyn, when she was here, you know, last week, was saying, look, there's a natural order of things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a right and a wrong. And, and, yes. and what's happened, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, what's happened is sort of this increase in moral relativism. Mm-hmm. So that, well, there really isn't a right or wrong. You could argue it this way. And as soon as you do that, then it just opens everything up to interpretation. And that's where we sort of slip into narcissism, where everyone feels that their point of view is the right one and everyone should listen to it. And they're offended if they don't. And uh, that's a problem. Because mm-hmm. if you if you can't agree on what the set of rules is, how can you play the game? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the rules keep uh, the rules continue continue to change, <laughs> like the permissiveness, the like all of the things that were peddled that are you know quote unquote okay and okay to do. It's like a very um, 
introspective um, and just the ability to look at things objectively and go, is that leading us? I think internally when people get quiet, they know what's right and wrong for the most part. And, you know, it's the things that keep you up at night or or that you wake up that you've been dreaming about that, you, you know, you're going, I don't feel that great about fill in the blank here. And that's our conscience that is speaking to us and that we do many, many things to numb that out. However, if we, you know, on this show, what we're asking people to do again is to think about how, how is it that I am and how is it that I want to be? And especially for your own, your own happiness, but then how do we collectively be a better um, group of people? So it's like ferreting out what are the things that are keeping you up and really exploring like, so what is, what is that that is making me uncomfortable and how do I heal it? How do I fix it? Yeah, and I do think the answer in the long term is is a move away from narcissism mm-hmm. um, to an acceptance that we're really all in this together and that we need to agree on what the rules are rather than make them up um, as we go along and as we feel justified um, because I don't think that leads anywhere good. I don't think it helps you m- mentally. It may, may help you in the present, but I don't think it helps you at all long term. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why we have so many young adults uh, diagnosed with anxiety disorders. You know, it's, it becomes very overwhelming. It right. becomes very overwhelming. Right. So for homework this week, because we often give homework <laughs> when it's you and I, I just think I would encourage people to go back to that whole journaling process of like writing down things that, you know, that you capture, that you go or, you know, making you feel unhappy with yourself or with your life. So that can be everything from I think maybe I I think maybe I drink too much. I probably eat too much. I've you know, my credit score isn't that great. I, you know, haven't been getting enough sleep. I've been, you know, maybe not doing enough work at work to legitimately call it work. And and then when you write that stuff down, just to be loving enough to yourself and have enough courage to really look at it and go, now what do I do with that? How do I make tomorrow or even this next moment a, a better moment for me in my life? Yeah, and I think one way of doing that is is to think of all the things you could do. What are all the possibilities you could do? You know, to deal with that situation, what could you do, and uh, and just look at that and consider it and just dwell on it. That's mm-hmm. the first step, I think, is to actually look at it because it's very easy in our busy, stressful lives to not pay attention to the things that uh, probably need paying attention to the most. So, so you know, we're just again, like we do on almost every show, encouraging you for a little introspection. Just take some time on your own to look at these things in your life and what are all the options you have, and just consider it. That's the first step. Yes, and we hope hope you've enjoyed this episode of uh, Master Your Life and hope that you have found some inspiration, intelligence, and insight to make your week better this week. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Thank you for being a part of our show today. Master Your Life with Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin can be heard every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go enjoy your successful life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.